glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to Sri Guru and Goranga. All glories to Sri Prabhupada and Ma Om Vishnu Krishna Prasad, Uttara Shri Mati Vedanta Swami, Jinnami. Namaste, Sarasvati Devi, Noravani Patarni, Namaste, Sasanarani, Prasachandi, Sitarani. Vandeham Shri Guru Shri Uttapadakamaram Shri Guru and Vaishnavam Shashi Rupam Sadhrajatam Sahagana Raghunatham Bitham Stam Sajivam Sadhvaitam Sadhudutam Padijana Sahita Krishna Chaitanya Deva Shri Radha Krishna Padam Sahagana Lalita Shri Vishakam Bitham Shah Vantakalpa Shri Vishakri Pasindriya Vatapati Tvam Pavanegra Vaishnavam Om Nimo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. July 12, 2021 in Hillsborough, North Carolina, reading Purushima Bhagavatam, Canto 10, Chapter 26, Wonderful Krishna Text 24. Itinanda Vachashutva. Garga Gitam Vajak Vajaukasa Muditanandam Anarchu Krishnam Chagata Vishmaya Iti Thus Nanda Vachaha The words of Nanda Maharaja Shutva Hearing Garga Gitam, the statements of Garga Rishi. Of course, that little means the singing of Garga Rishi. Raja Okasaha, the residence of Raja. Muditaha, enlightened. Nandam, Nanda Maharaja. Anarjutaha, they honor Krishnam. Lord Krishna, Cha, and Kata, gone, Vishmaya, their perplexity. BBT translation. Sukadeva Goswami continued, having heard Nanda Maharaj relate the statements of Gargamuni, the residents of Vrindavana became enlightened. Their perplexity was gone, and they worshipped Nanda and Lord Krishna with great respect. BBT purport. Shilajiva Goswami explains that in this verse, the word anarjuhu indicates that the residents of Vrindavana honored Nanda and Krishna with such offerings as fragrances, garlands, and garments brought from their homes. Shilavishana Chakrabadi Thakur adds that the residents of Vrindavana honored Nanda and Krishna with loving offerings of jewels and gold coins. Apparently, Lord Krishna was playing in the forest when this conversation took place, so when he returned home, the residents of Vrindavan encouraged him by decorating him with beautiful yellow garments, necklaces, armlets, earrings, and crowns, and by shouting, all glories, all glories to the jewel of Vrindavan. So I wanted to read Jiva Goswami's Tika. They heard the words of Nanda and through that the song of Garga, or the verses spoken by Garga. 
They first worshipped Nanda by bringing sandalwood, perfumes, cloth, and ornaments from their houses, since even Krishna gave respect to Nanda as his father. Then they worshipped Krishna, but Krishna only returned from the forest in the evening. According to Parasara, the cowherds asked Krishna directly about their doubt. Shy to show his greater knowledge, he replied with affectionate anger. It's a long Sanskrit quote. When Indra had gone, the cowherds, on seeing that Krishna had lifted Govardhan Hill, spoke affectionately to Krishna, who removes all calamity. O Lord, we are most fortunate since you have saved us and the cows from the greatest danger by lifting the hill. Your play as a child is unequal, but being a cowherd is to be condemned. O child, how can your attractive actions be described? You subdued Kali in the water and killed Danica. You lifted Govardhan. Now we have doubts in our minds. We swear at the feet of the Lord, O Krishna, of unlimited prowess. It is true. Who do they consider to be the Lord? Right. We cannot consider that you are human on seeing such powers. All of Raja, including women and children, have affection for you, O Keshava. Even the Devatas cannot perform such acts. Since you have such powers as a child, it is not proper to stay among us. O unlimited Krishna, these thoughts give rise to doubt. Are you a Devata, a demon, a Yaksha, or a Gandharva? Thinking about this, we conclude that you are our friend. We offer respects to you. This is a quote from the Vishnu Quran 5.13, 1-8, and then Jiva Goswami quotes again. When the coward spoke in this way, wise Krishna was silent for a moment and then spoke with affectionate anger. O cowards, if you are not ashamed of having a relationship with me, or if I am praiseworthy, then why think about this at all? If you have affection for me, and if I am praised by you, you should think of me as the closest friend. I am not a Devata, Gandharva, Yaksha, or demon. I have been born as your friend. You should not think otherwise. This is Vishnu Purana 5.13.9-12. And then Jiva Swami quotes again. Just as all of you having great prowess think of me in the same way, I should not be disrespected. I am your relative and friend. If I am worthy of your praise as a friend and have powers like a devata, what is the use of thinking too much about this, if you are merciful to me? Vishnu Purana Hari Vamsa 2, 20, 11, and 13. Though they had all doubts removed by the answer of Nanda, they spoke eagerly to him to make this conviction stronger and hear directly from his mouth. Their doubts could not be removed by artificial methods. Iti Nanda Vachasrutva Garga Gitam Chandrajaksha Mudita Nandam Anarchu Krishnam Chagata Vishmaya. Sudhya Goswami continued, having heard Nanda Maharaja relate the statements of Garga Muni, the residents of Vrindavana became enlivened. Their perplexity was gone, and they worshipped Nanda and Lord Krishna with great respect. So the evidence of our doubts being gone is that we decorate the Lord with love. That was the ultimate expression of the Vrindavasis having their doubts removed. Uh, so what was their doubt? Their doubt was, you know, Krishna is one of us, he's not his son, he's a coward. And, I mean, even today we have some sense of different classes of people. Isn't it? 
right? We have, we have some sense in pretty much every society that some people are more aristocratic, right? We have terms in America like rednecks and, you know, hillbillies and things like that for people who are just farmers. Am I correct? No? Oh, they live in the boondocks. They're just hillbillies. They're just rednecks. So why would we think that somebody with supernatural powers would grow up in some, you know, little village taking care of animals and being a farmer? So this was their doubt. Because Krishna generally appears in what kind of families? Shatriya families. Usually he appears in royal families, sometimes in Brahmana families. Because God is the king of all kings. If he's going to appear on earth, he generally appears in a family of kings. So why would he appear in some villagers? So this was their doubt. They're thinking, wait a minute, you know, you've done all these activities that are not possible for an ordinary human being, and yet you appear to be just a village boy. So they couldn't they couldn't put that, those two things together. And of course, this is a doubt, or similar doubts, that many people have about Krishna's activities. You know, is, is he God? Is he a human being? And, you know, many academic scholars who don't have devotion, who are just looking at things from an academic point of view, they also say, well, these can't be real stories. They can't be actual historical fact, because just some human being couldn't do these things. And what to speak of some little village boy? How could he have done these sort of things? Now, the response of the Vrijvasis was to say that maybe, Krishna, you are that great, and if you are that great, then maybe you shouldn't be staying with us. Maybe you should stay someplace else. Maybe you don't belong here. And then... uh, it's interesting, Nanda's response to the doubts of the Vajrasis and Krishna's response. So, uh, it's natural to have these doubts. Of course, Prabhupada says that Krishna compares, or Arjuna compares, actually, these doubts to demons. Uh, but Prabhupada says that doubt is a symptom of intelligence and blind following is condemned. We're supposed to ask questions. Prashna is actually one of the principles of approaching a spiritual master and being a disciple that one is supposed to ask questions. That's why in our Bhakti Shastri course we require that every class the students have to come with at least three questions. And they should be difficult questions. They should be questions, we say, try to ask the question that the teacher cannot answer. You know, we're, we're asking people to really surface their doubts and questions. Right? Our whole hermeneutics course is dealing with this. What are people's doubts? What are people's questions? What are the things that people read in the scriptures or hear from the acharyas that they say, I I just can't make any sense of that. Just like the other day someone asked me about the Prachetas. The Prachetas were married, all ten Prachetas brothers were married to Maricha and it said they had this son, Daksha. And so my friend asked me, well, whose son was it? Is he considered the son of all ten men? You know, how, how, and I said, well, it's not really explained anywhere. Uh, it just says uh, that he's the son of the Prachetas. It doesn't say that they have other children or who exactly was the father. So this was a, a question of doubt that comes from reading the Shastra. And we're supposed to ask these questions. Uh, 
just like one of my questions is, is from the fourth canto, where uh, Prabhupada writes in a purport that one can train pigeons to carry you into outer space. So for the New York Rafi actor, I got to see a lot of pigeons again. I was recently in Portland and San Francisco where there's a lot of pigeons. And I kept looking at them and thinking, can you really take me into outer space? You know, is there some way I can train you to take me to Alpha Centauri? So I have some doubt. You know, then I think, well, maybe they're not like, you know, Central Park pigeons. Maybe they're a different kind of pigeon. Or maybe you have to know some mantra where you empower them that they can breathe in outer space and travel from one planet to another. But I haven't seen any explanation. So we may have these various doubts. Yes? So what do we do when we have doubts? So here, the residents of Vrindavan, they ask Nandama. She's the, the leader. And he refers them to the words of Gargamuni. And I, I think it's significant that it's called Garga Gitam, Garga's song, Garga's singing, which Jiva Goswami says indicates that Gargamuni may have been singing. We know the residents of Vrindavan, their speech is so melodious, it sounds like singing. I mean, there are certain languages like that, isn't it? The South Indian languages always sound to me like, like somebody's singing. There are some languages that if you don't understand the meaning of the words, it can sound like some languages, if you don't understand the meaning, sounds very harsh. Yes, we won't name which languages. And some languages sound very beautiful. Uh, so that even when you're speaking, it sounds very beautiful. Or Jiva Goswami said, as we just read, that it could have been that Gargamuni was reciting the slokas from the Shastra. So this is one primary way of getting our doubts removed. We go to an authority, and that authority also quotes an authority. And that authority can also quote an authority. Ultimately, the ultimate authority is Krishna. Krishna. The ultimate authority is Krishna and the Shastra. That's our old, that's one of the principles of hermeneutics, that Shabda is the ultimate authority. And in this way, when doubts can be removed. And these uh, statements of the authorities, it's not just that they're intellectually satisfying and logically satisfying, but like Gargamuni was singing, that these statements of scripture, these statements of the authority are very pleasing. They fill one with a sense of satisfaction like beautiful music. And I, I know when I, uh, the whole time I was growing up, uh, I, I grew up in a very religious and pious family, but they didn't really have answers to my philosophical questions. And when I was a teenager, I studied at the Jewish Theological Seminary in New York and at Columbia University. And I remember asking some of the religious leaders, some of the rabbis, some questions of my doubt. I said, you know, we say that God has no form, uh, that God is impersonal, but yet it says in the Bible uh, that Moses saw God face to face as a friend speaks with another friend. And it says that God wrote on the tablets of stone the Ten Commandments with his finger. So why does God explain like that if we say that he has no form and he's impersonal? That was my first question. My second question was actually very similar, although I didn't understand at the time that it was similar, that when Moses comes down from Mount Sinai and sees everybody in revelry, that he gets so angry that he breaks the tablets of stone and he goes back up the mountain. 
He says to God, you know, I'm furious at these people while I'm getting instructions from you. They're just falling into, into revelry. And God says, all right, I'll kill them all and we'll start the nation again from your descendants. And Moses says, no, no, you can't do that. You promised Abraham that it would be his descendants. Uh, please don't kill them. And God says, yes, yes, you're right. I have to keep my promise. I'm not going to kill them. So I said to the rabbis, I don't understand this. You know, Moses argues with God and wins the argument and God decides not to be angry. And Again, with an impersonal conception of God, it didn't make the slightest bit of sense. And the response I got, I didn't get any singing. I got yelling. You know, that I asked various uh, rabbis, chop rabbis in the Jewish Theological Seminary and their, uh, the main seminary in, in America. And their main response was just to shout at me and tell me, how dare you ask these questions? These questions are offensive. You know, don't ever ask questions like this. And the main thing that propelled me to do was to look for spiritual life outside of the tradition of my family. You know, I thought, well, I'm going to go someplace where people will give me answers. So it's important if people come to us with doubts and questions about Krishna consciousness that we cite authority. This is a very important principle. We shouldn't just be making stuff up. And nor should we become angry if people ask questions, even if those questions from our perspective are offensive. I like to give this example that um, previously when I taught Bhakti Shastri in the Gurukula, when we used to run a Gurukula here many years ago, uh, one, I, again, I would tell all the students, you have to come with three questions for every class from the reading. And one of them said, well, it seems like in this purport, Shiva Prabhupada is criticizing Arjuna very severely. How is that not Vaishnava Aparad? Is Shiva Prabhupada committing Vaishnava Aparad here against Arjuna? And instead of saying, how dare you criticize Shiva Prabhupada like that? That is a very offensive question. I said, thank you very much for asking that question. And that student is now a second initiated devotee and herself a great preacher of Krishna consciousness. And it was interesting that we, we, I met with her a few years ago and she was saying that when she had some great tragedy in her life that she had doubts about whether or not Krishna was God. That's very common. That we have doubts not only about statements in the scripture or activities of Krishna, but we have doubts as to whether God exists or we have doubts as to whether or not God is loving if we have some crisis in our life. Isn't it? It's very, very common. And just recently, when I was in Portland, met a devotee like this in a similar situation. You know, he's, he had his, some life crisis, and he says, you know, if God knew what was going to happen, why did he let me make this decision? Why did he let me do this? Why did he let this happen to me? You know, in other words, they're saying, is God loving? Does God care about me? Anyway, this one of my former students said to me, what kept my faith was the logic and philosophy that you taught us when we were children that I went back to that. I went back to this, to the philosophy. And this way I'm like, yes, there really is a God and He really is loving. So it is very essential that we don't denigrate people when they have doubts. You might say, how can the residents of Vrindavan doubt Krishna? <laughs> They're pure devotees. What, what are they doing having doubts? How could Krishna do this? Uh, no. Ananda Maharaj didn't respond like that. He didn't criticize them. He didn't belittle them. He didn't humiliate them. 
I mean, I had this happen to me in the International Society for Christian Consciousness. I, I had some doubt right after Srila Prabhupada left the planet and we had the 11 Zonal Acharyas who were taking disciples. And I was thinking, you know, we say, Janme, Janme, Prabhu say, we say the relationship with the Guru is eternal. Uh, and I was thinking about the children in the movement. I thought some of them may have been initiated in their past lives. Uh, but these people now taking disciples, I, I had a doubt as to when he, whether or not any of them in a previous life would have also been gurus. And I thought, how could it be the same person? How could they have had the same guru in a previous life that they're having now? And I thought, you know, if I were to die now and take birth again this time, I couldn't have Prabhupada as my guru. I'd have to have one of these people as my guru. So what does it mean that the guru is there life after life? And so I, I asked the question of, um, anyway, how are you? And the person I asked the question of, and it was uh, 350 devotees, at least maybe 400, in the 55th Street Temple. And he screamed at me in front of everybody. And he said, you're asking this question just because you're in nonsense. You want to come back birth after birth and burden your guru because you just want sense gratification. He was just screaming at me, and I felt like I wanted to kind of go through the floor and go to the lower regions of the universe and disappear. Uh, so we don't find that Nandamaraj responded like this. Nandamaraj didn't, uh, didn't criticize the residents of Vrindavan for having doubts and questions. And instead he referred them to his authority, who himself was also quoting authority. So instead we should quote authority, and if we don't know, then we should just say, I don't know. It's perfectly fine to just say, I don't know. Or to say, yeah, I've always wondered about that too. Maybe we can look it up. Maybe we can find out. Let me see somebody else I can ask. You know, I guarantee you, all the leaders of our Krishna consciousness movement ask other people also when they have questions. None of us are God. None of us know everything. Uh, even great saints and sages, even pure devotees, have questions for which they go to superior authority. That is not some sort of, of embarrassment to say, I don't know, but I shall endeavor to find out. So to not denigrate people's questions, to answer by quoting authority, not to answer by speculating, to be careful who you quote, not just I read that somewhere, or I heard it in a class. And if we don't know, to say, I don't know, and I will endeavor to find it. So the Vrijvasis heard already from Nanda Maharaj, while Krishna was off in the forest tending the cows. And in many ways, they felt satisfied by this answer. And remember, we talked about the previous verse on Thursday. So what was the answer they got? Does anybody remember? That Krishna is a what? Anybody remember from Thursday's class? The answer they got was a really interesting one. That Krishna is an amsa of, of Narayana. They actually, the answer that Nandamars gave him is Krishna is a jiva, an empowered jiva, like a Shaktivesh avatar. That was the ecstasy of, of Nandamars, seeing that we talked about the difference between tattva and rasa. Does everybody remember that? We talked about the difference between tattva and rasa. 
that instead of seeing Krishna as avatari and Narayana as his expansion, Nandamara saw that Narayana is God and Krishna is an empowered part of Narayana. So that was the answer that they got from Nandamara from quoting Gargamuni, who was quoting Shastra. But the residents of Vrindavan then had another doubt. And with this other doubt, as explained here by Jiva Goswami, they approach Krishna when Krishna comes back from the forest. Because as we explained last Thursday, the residents of Vrindavan do not have an awe and a reverential mood towards Krishna. So even seeing Krishna as a partial expansion of Narayana, even seeing him like that made him disturbed. They're like, well, you shouldn't be here. Just like I, I visited two families when I went out to the West Coast who had very gifted children, very obviously gifted children. One of them, the family, the child was three years old, and she already knew the Shastra backwards and forwards. She was instructing me in the Shastra, no, no joke. And she was reciting verses from the Shastra and explaining them, not just parroting a translation, but actually explaining, like she reciting these verses in Sanskrit, and I said, can you tell me what it means? And so she's going on this whole life, three years old. And also, I forget what exactly I was doing, but she started telling me the multiplication tables. She knew all of her multiplication tables at three years old. So I was talking to the parents and I was saying, you have a very gifted child. And I met another family with an older child who was also very obviously gifted later on. And so what did I say as an educator? I said, you've got to make sure you take care of this child. The parents were asking me, should I homeschool? And I said, it's very rare to find a school that facilitates gifted kids. I said, now and ever since the 70s, when the United States government uh, passed a law that all children have to be educated in the public school systems, uh, there's been all this facility for special needs kids, which wasn't there previously. And the, the government will spend sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars on one child with a special needs, getting them a special aid and like that. But gifted children don't get that kind of facility. In some schools, there would be some provision, but not much. And I said, you know, probably the only way you're really going to be able to take care of your child is to teach him yourself. You know, and I, I have a, a friend whose parents sent her to a special school for the gifted. So this is the way the residents of Rindavan are thinking. They're thinking, you're gifted. Right? You shouldn't be here with us cowards. You should have some special facility somewhere. Look how talented you are. You can hold up a mountain. You can kill demons. What are you doing here in our village? Right? That's their doubt that they're going to Krishna with. So their doubt as to whether or not Krishna could do these superhuman feats, that's been taken care of by hearing from authority. But then they're saying, wow, you're so great, you shouldn't be here. We, we don't deserve to be with you. We, we can't actually give you what you need. We can't facilitate you. And we find that in the world. Right? People will send their child to some distant city for a special music school or dance school or something like that. So that's how they're thinking. So then Krishna says, 
You're thinking too much. Jiva Goswami is quoting from the Vishnu Purana. You're thinking too much. I'm just your friend. I'm not anybody special. It's interesting, Krishna sort of reverses what Nanda and Gargamuni said. Like, just forget about it. Because Krishna's mood in being in Vrindavan is that he doesn't want to be seen as God. In fact, he doesn't really want to be seen as anybody specially gifted. You know, most of the demons Krishna deals with, he deals with in the forest, away from the adults. And when the coward boys come and say, Krishna killed this demon, and Mother Soda gets all upset and worried. And then Krishna says, no, no, it's just stories. Right? Like, I was watching the cart get decorated yesterday, and little Avi Mani was playing with one devotee with a stick, and he's saying, I'm killing a demon, and I'm killing a demon. But we don't take it seriously, right? We don't think little Avi Mani is actually killing a demon. So Krishna's telling the residents at night, but some of them, they saw, I mean, they all saw Krishna dancing on the heads of Kaliya. They all saw the dead body of Putana. And now they just saw him lifting Govardhan Hill, so he can't really deny that. He can't say, well, my friends are just playing make-believe. But he says, no, 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 I, I'm not anybody special. I'm just your friend. Don't think about this too much. Just be my friend. Just love me. And this is, and we speak about this quite a lot, but it, it bears repeating forever, that Krishna likes being worshipped with awe and reverence, otherwise he wouldn't have so many Vaikuntha planets where he's there as Lord Narayan, and he likes that. He likes hearing the Vedic hymns. We like having people respect us and treating us as somebody special. We, we like that. Most of us, some people some people, they win the Nobel Prize, they don't even come to collect it, and, you know, they, they write a paper that changes all of science in the world, but they have just their student's name on it. So there's some people who, you know, run away from any kind of fame and, and adulation. But most people like that. Most people like to receive some sort of award. You know, we, we do that in our heart Christian movement, right? We, give some recognition, or this person gave $100,000, or this person worked so hard in the kitchen, maybe you put their, a plaque up and for their name, or, you know, I was at the, this festival for the TOVP, and they're giving awards to people in front of everybody. So Krishna likes that. It's not that he doesn't like that. He does like that. But he also likes being treated just as one of the villagers. Where people aren't seeing him somewhere, where he's just a buddy. And we like that too. You know, we don't want always to be with people who are reverential towards us. And in fact, the intimacy is more pleasing. When people are intimate with us, when people treat us in a casual manner, we talked about this the other day, people even insult us lovingly, uh, that's even more pleasing. So that's true for Krishna also. And this is not very well understood in most religions of the world. Like the religion I was brought up in couldn't even understand that God is a person at all. I mean, to the extent that they had to reinterpret his metaphor, the quotes in their own scripture that point to God as a person. 
No, 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 it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that. He's just some sort of impersonal force. How he spoke, the, I don't know. How did he speak and how did he write if he's just some impersonal force? Uh, they, they just can't explain it. But what to speak of if you say that the ultimate manifestation of God likes intimacy and says to his devotees, don't think about this. Don't, don't worry your heads about it. It's not very important. Just put it aside. And the residents of Vrindavan were so pleased by seeing Krishna and they felt when they saw him that then all of their doubts were completely mitigated. They felt completely Satisfied. Okay, Krishna's just our friend. Krishna's just our friend. And they were taking the pleasure then in Krishna's activities like we might take pleasure in the activities of a friend. Oh, my friend's done something wonderful. Without then elevating that person to some great higher status. I mean, what's really interesting is after the killing of Bhakasura, it's explained by our acharyas that, you know, the demigods are showering uh, flowers on Krishna and the counter boys are thinking maybe Krishna's a demigod but we're his close friends so if he's a demigod then we can be demigods too <laughs> they just took it like that and the response of the Vrindavasis here to having their doubts satisfied and just thinking Krishna Prabhupada titles this chapter wonderful Krishna in Krishna book and that's how it's titled here in Bhagavatam wonderful Krishna and their response is simply to give gifts to Nanda and Krishna. They're giving Krishna gifts of scents like sandalwood and ornaments and flowers and clothing. And it says gold coins, Jiva Goswami says. So how do we know that our doubts have been mitigated, that our response is that we feel more love to Krishna and we engage in Krishna's service with more affection? We do more things for Krishna. That's how we know that our doubts have been taken care of. It's not that if our doubts are taken care of, that then we can write, you know, 20-page papers smashing everybody who disagrees with us. That, that's not the evidence that our doubts have been taken care of. The evidence is that we grow in devotion. We grow in love. We grow in happiness. And we show that by increasing the quality or the quantity of our service as our doubts get dissipated. Oh, I want to serve Krishna more. I want to serve Krishna's devotees more. What can I do for them? What opulence can I give them? What opulent preparation can I cook for them? What opulent clothing and ornaments can I give for them? What opulent temple can I build for them? Uh, what beautiful kirtan can I sing for them? How can I serve? So when we become enlightened in service, that is an evidence that we are satisfied, not just intellectually, but on all levels. So questions, comments, corrections, chastisements. Maharaj? No. Nothing? Does that just mean you're still tired from your journey? Well. Does, that, does the fact that you have nothing to add just mean that you're still tired from your journey? No, it's, it's, everything you said is all right today. Thank you. Finally. Anybody else? Any questions, comments? Additions, subtractions. All right, let's worship Krishna. Shri Prabhupada Ki Jai. <laughs>